0: grace of just tangible in those moments. Lord, Father, so we pray, do pray for Stephanie and, and Matthew and for all the family as they grieve uh, Greg's uh, death. Lord, we pray for uh, the Stevens and for all that's going on with Hannah's death. And, and, and Lord, we don't, we don't know the best way to love these people, but you do. And so, Father, we pray that you'd move in hearts to, to be there for them at this holiday season, which is not going to be as joyous as the past. And, and but Father, I know that, that both these families, they know the love of Christ. May that be enough to sustain them. And may they uh, truly come to know you, uh, maybe in a way they would not otherwise have experienced. So Father, may you be glorified as we go into this sermon time now. I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, we would be seeking to find ourselves in the text that we would seek to see where are you, God, trying to mature us in our faith. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are continuing in 1 John. Uh, a couple technical difficulties today, so don't have the computer, so hopefully everything will work smoothly. And, and uh, thank you for all uh, you folks up there in the sound and uh, AV booth and, and helping us out, um, figuring all this stuff out. Um, it is. Uh, it's good to know there are people that are able to do this. All right. So, so we're in this series of First John. I've been out of the pulpit for two weeks, so it feels like an eternity. I'm thankful for Dave covering last week. Dave will also be covering me next week. Uh, next week was a scheduled Sunday out of the pulpit. Last week was not. Last week was COVID. Uh, this next week, I'll be here for the Christmas Eve services, uh, and then I'm actually Christine and I are going to get out of town for a couple of days, uh, and. Um, we have an opportunity to see my kids, um, uh, one of our, my, my son and daughter-in-law. Uh, and you know what? This afternoon, we get to find out the gender of our grandchild. I don't know if I've said it publicly, but we're going to be grandparents, all right? Uh, yeah. All right. I'm all about that, all right? So, uh, so actually, if a text pops up in the middle of my sermon, it's when they, they're going to, reveal. I'm going to answer the no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll look at it, and I'll be like, whoo, yeah. So it's fun times. But I, please, uh, enjoy the time with family uh, and, and with friends this, this, this uh, holiday season. But as we get back into this text today, uh, I, I, do, I do challenge you. We're talking about the love that a Christian is supposed to have for a fellow Christian. If you're a Christian here today, this text is screaming at you to live out your faith in a way that glorifies God. At Christmas time, it's, it's, it's uh, traditional to go out to church. And so maybe if you are joining us online or maybe you're here today and, and, and really this church thing and this Jesus thing is just not something that is part of your life. We invite you to know the love of Jesus Christ, the love of God that is expressed through uh, his great love and sending his son to die on the cross for your sins and for ours. And, and that's why we come together in fellowship. And so as we talk about this today, I really uh, uh, find yourself in the text as, as we work through it. We have been discussing this for the past couple of weeks. It's the idea of children of God display the character of God. This is, this is the idea that family looks like family, right? I always pick on the Lairds. Where are they? I saw you. I, my, right, the first time I ever walked in, I, I know his parents, right? You didn't have to tell me who he was, right? I know his parents, and he looks just like your parents, right? And, and so there's a certain layered look. There's a certain odiorne look. Uh, some, some similarity of, of baldness is part of the odiorne look, right? And, uh, but I tell people I have more hair than all my brothers combined, all right? And I have three brothers. So uh, I'm very thankful for what I have. And, uh, but children of God display the character of God. As children of God, as believers of Jesus Christ, That we are... People are supposed to see the family resemblance, and we're supposed to exercise uh, this love that that is being talked about uh, within our church family, certainly, and even beyond our church family. But so we've been considering this, and so as a way to kind of get a running start, we looked at uh, 1 John 3, verse 10, last time, two weeks ago that we were together, and I'm just going to introduce this this sermon with the same idea, all right? So the same verse. And uh, so, uh, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. This is how we know what the children of God and the children of of Satan look like. It says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So, So it's very clear, very black and white. And so, but what we do see in this text, that there are two types of children, There's children of God and children of the devil. I'll refer to him as probably Satan as we go through the text here. Uh, But listen, this this is a reality that we live in. We are one of these. We are born as a child of the devil. It is only from an act of God that we become a child of God. And, And we know from John, the Gospel of John, it's only those who come to faith in Jesus Christ and who he is as the Son of God and what he accomplished on the cross. He paid what no one else could pay, it says, those who have come to faith in him are, are called children of God. And, and, and he says it here. He's already said it. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that he has, has allowed us to be called his children. So we, we see this. So, but we, John starts off, and he, John likes to paint things black and white. He really does. And, and, it, and it's helpful for us. Sometimes it causes more questions. But that's okay. Questions are good. Uh, but we see here as he contrasts these two children that he says the children of the devil, uh, uh, they're manifested in two ways. One, they don't practice righteousness. If, if they're a child of the devil, they are not capable of practicing righteousness. It is, it is not within their family DNA. It's not, it's not within their family genes or spiritual family genes. They cannot practice righteousness. They also are not able to love the way they are called to love, because this love that we are called to practice as Christians is a God-centered, God-motivated, God-empowered love. And it's something that we have at our disposal, and it's something that we are, as we talk about children of God uh, 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 display the character of God, we are able to do this, and we do do this in different ways. And certainly we can all grow and mature and, and do it uh, in, in, in better clarity. <coughs> Uh, Bob, do me a favor. Toss me my bottle of water. <clears throat> I strained my voice a couple of weeks ago at chapel. Uh, thank you very much, brother. Um, and uh, when I get animated, <laughs> it just starts. <clears throat> so, excuse me. I wish they'd come up with a bottle. Well, actually, yeah. I just don't buy the bottles. The ones that don't crackle, you know. Uh, I don't buy the expensive stuff. So, As we consider this, all right, this is what children of the devil look like. Then John paints it very clear. This is a reality. This is what we see. But he doesn't spend all his time on the children of the devil. Children of God display the character of God, and so as we think about this reality too, this is the same reality. Children of Satan display the the character of Satan. We're going to look at. Uh, Cain in a few minutes, right? We're going to talk, you know, look at his story. No, we're not going to look in the text, but we're just going to talk about it. We know the story of Cain. But listen, the children of Satan dis- display his characters as well. There's a family resemblance. That's what John is saying, right? So, so as we go into this, there, I, I think there's two distinguishing marks of God's children. I'm not saying these are the only two, but these are the two that, that John is highlighting for us. The first distinguishing mark is that children of God live righteously, this is, and if you're, if you're a Christian today, if you call yourself a disciple, if, if you, you know, whatever, however you want to identify yourself, if you're saying that somehow you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are called to live righteously. I am called to live righteously. It's not an either or. It is a no. This is the family resemblance that we're supposed to display. We saw this in chapter 2 and verses 3 through 6. John says, now by this we know that we know him. Remember, this is one of my favorite statements. How do we know that we know Jesus? Well, it says here, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. John is saying, abide in Christ, remain in Christ. And and, and he says, to do that, you must obey. And so obedience is definitely one of those things. Specifically, we're talking about the, the command to love. To love the Lord thy God. To love your neighbor. You're supposed to do both all the time. There's never an hour or a moment where that's not supposed to be true of us. We know that we know if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him or matured in him. You want to look like, like Jesus? You want to love like Jesus? right? Then, then keep his word, and, the, and that love that, that God has uh, empowered us will, will, will flow forth. right? He says, by this we know that we are in him. But John is very interested in us knowing things. He's very interested in children of God knowing that they're children of God. We hear testimonies of the deacon candidates as they come up. We have testimonies when people come get baptized. We have testimonies when church membership. And, and when we hear these testimonies of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, often part of those testimonies are the, are the points where people struggled with, am I genuinely a child of God? Have I, did, I, did I really believe when I was four? And at one level, it's like, well, I don't know. And you may not know. God truly knows. But let's make sure now at 24, that, that you are a child of God and, and, and proclaim it and come to faith and, and, and know him. And John is saying, listen, by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walks. So we are called, as we talk about distinguishing marks of a Christian, we are supposed to live righteously. We're supposed to walk which is a metaphor for for live, right? We're supposed to live like Jesus lived. We're supposed to walk like he walked. It's supposed to be a family reality, a family resemblance. My Lord and Savior did this, said this, handled this situation this way. I need to do this and say this and live this way because that's what Jesus did. That's why I need to do it. It's part of the way the family works. So we, we also see in the, the, the context just prior to this in chapter 3, John says, little children, we, he loves these terms of endearment. He'll, he'll say it again in our, in our text that we'll, we'll, we'll read again in a few minutes. But he says, listen, little children, let no one deceive you. There were actively people deceiving, seeking to deceive others. They believed with their whole heart a lie. They believed with their whole heart that they were right. But they were wrong because they're children of the devil. They don't have righteousness in them. They were telling you can live, you can believe this and live this way. And God is, and John is saying, no, you can't. And you know this is true. He's saying, little children, he's saying, let no one deceive you. It's the idea of stop being deceived. They're out there. They're seeking to mess you up. He said, he who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he, speaking of Jesus, is righteous. We we have the ability to live righteously. People who are children of Satan do not. It is not part of their family trait. And what's so sad about it is they don't know it until they come to interact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they see that their sin is an offense to a holy God. And they need to repent of their sin. And they need to come to faith in what Jesus did on their behalf. Until then... They're practicing unrighteousness, and so therefore they are not a child of God. So as we go into this, we, have, we see that the one distinguishing mark is children of God live uh, righteously. But, and this is where we're going to focus the rest of our time together. Children of God love actively. We are not passive in our love. That, Christians are never, ever supposed to be passive in our love. We are supposed to be active. Why am I using that word? Well, part of it is throughout this text, not just this text, but even broader, John is captivated with the present tense. The Word of God. Remember, remember uh, Jesus when he was, uh, we, we did this this week in our prayer time or our devotionals. I think it was our prayer time this week, uh, streaming. Uh, we engaged in the scripture uh, where Jesus is interacting with some religious leaders. And, and, and he's like, listen, you got it all wrong, this whole uh, marriage thing. They were, they were trying to trip him up. He's like, do you remember that, that God said that, that, that the Word of God says that He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? He's the God of, He, he is, the, the, they're alive. There's this, this reality that, that uh, they, are, they're, they are still in God's uh, sphere, right? They're not just dead and gone. God is the God of the living. And so we, as we think about active, we are to be active, not passive, in our Christian love for one another. We are called to be uh, engage in our faith in such a way that people notice. So w- when we talk about distinguishing marks of, of the children of God, it's distinguished because people see it. And they take note of it. You know, we, we've heard the term, before, mark that man, right? Mark that woman, you know? Mark that, that child. That child's going to be president of the United States someday, right? Mark my words. It's the idea that there is some some element of these characteristics of living righteously and loving actively is the way we are. People are to mark us and say, "Ooh, they're Christians." And this active idea there is just that John's using the active tense and all this stuff. And and as we go through it, it's 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 not something that is. We don't love for the future. We don't love from the past. We love in the now, and we must continue to love, and we must always love, and we may never. We must never give up this loving. So, so let's consider this for the day. Actively loving other marks you out as a Christian, and that should be good news for you. But I, you also, John, the way John writes, there also ought to be some self-reflection in this. Am I marked? Right? Are people seeing this in my life? Right? Own it, folks. As I try to own it, and I am listen, I'm, I, I am, I uh, am, I'm a failure in many, many ways. In my, in my Christian life, right? I mean, there's times where, man, I just like, really? I mean, I re, I re, I, when I recognize and I'm like, How? wow, that I didn't think I was capable of that, you know? And, and then, then I say something unkind or just something. It's like, listen, folks. We're we're all broken vessels. We're all seeking to be conformed, transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. We're going to have our our successes and our failures, but we learn through both of them, and often we learn through our failures. And all we're saying now is actively loving others should mark us all as Christians, but is there enough evidence, as they say, to convict us of our Christian claim? That's what I think John is trying to challenge us with. So we're going to look at uh, verses eleven through eighteen and, uh, and we 're going to consider six features of active Christian love, right so you know, we talk about family resemblances and facial features that 's i 'm just trying to build off that idea, but six features of active Christian love, and these are things that uh, john 's pointing out i 'm just drawing them from the text, and I think we need to see it in our life and the life of each other, the life of the body of this church as well as other believers right so our first, um, our first feature is this. Active love is gospel-motivated love. Now, I want to think the best of you, and so I don't think this is a negative thing, but, but my mind goes to, are they tired of hearing us talk about gospel motivation? <laughs> is this something that, because I say it a lot, the other pastors say it a lot, it's probably the one uh, principle that we value that we say more than any other, is that we are to be gospel-motivated. That means the gospel is for every person at every moment, Please, never get tired of it. Would you mind in the morning just reciting it into the mirror at yourself? The gospel's for me today, and there are going to be times throughout my day, every moment of my day, where I'm going to have to inform my decisions, because, you know, mission makes every decision matter, right? The gospel, everything is gospel-motivated around the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's like, listen, my love needs to be gospel-motivated. And how do you do that? Well, think about your family for a minute. John is talking about church family. He's talking about spiritual family. Well, let's talk about your family for a minute, whether it's now or in the past, right? Uh, think about it. If you're, if you're married, you know, and you're thinking about how is, how is my love for my wife gospel-motivated? How is my love for my husband gospel-motivated? Well, are you thinking about what God's will is for your spouse? Are you esteeming them before you would esteem yourself? Are you seeking to see the character of God displayed in their life? And are, are, you, are you seeking to apply it to your own life? Lord, help me be the husband. Help me be the father. Help me be the worker that I need to be that the most clearly identifies that I am a Christian to those who are watching. We, we want to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's, that's great phraseology, right? We talk about it. It's great. All right? it's, it sounds very biblical. It is biblical. But are we doing it, are we motivated by gospel, the gospel to love our children? And children, since there's more children in this service than the previous service, can I say this? Children, love your parents in the gospel. You know the gospel if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. You know the good that you ought to do. And we know if we don't do the good we're supposed to do, right? We're sinners. So, so listen, this active love is gospel-motivated love. Jesus, the love that he displayed to us on the cross of Christ that was initiated by the love of the Father for us, it's like that same love is supposed to be working through us every day, every moment, all the time. And that is one of the features of active love, active Christian love. I, I don't put the Christian in there every slide because there's just too many words, right? Active love. I'm talking about active Christian love, but it's, it's gospel motivated. And that's what he says. He says right there in verse 11, for this is the message. John's been talking about the message throughout the message. He's been saying there's this, this truth that I have been preached, that I preached to you and you believed. This message that you heard from the beginning. Certainly it's the beginning of their time with John, maybe the beginning of their faith. John has has used this terminology already, but he's saying the message is this, love one another. And you might be thinking, wow, pastor, you preached on that like three times in the last three months. You're probably right because John keeps saying it. I think we're supposed to take notice that this is a real thing for us to wrestle with, that our love is supposed to be actively engaged, love, gospel-motivated love. It's part of the message. You can't just come to faith in Jesus Christ and then live the life that you want to live doing whatever you want to do. No, we're told that, you know, listen, uh, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, right? Don't forsake the assembling of, of, of yourselves together as the habit of some. Come together and exhort one another to love and good works. Well, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And, and so this is the message. And they heard it, and they believed it. He's reminding them of it. And he's saying one of the features... Of active love is the fact that it is gospel motivated. John is gospel motivated. He's pouring forth uh, all this in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second feature is this active love will be met with active hate. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? This may or not be true of your life up to this point. It just, there's a, there's, as we look at the text, he says, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. then he says, uh, let me me get, I'm going to fast forward here. And he says, but do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. All right, I'm, I'm jumping ahead just a little bit. We'll go back. It's the idea, that word if, not everybody's had this experience of living out your Christian faith in such a way where people hate you in response. No, I, we'll just do a raise of hands. I'm not even talking about your faith at this point. How many of you have felt hated in your life, at once, some moment? right? some moment in time, you just were like, "Wow!" That was ugly. I don't think I deserved that hate. I'm driving through Afghanistan actually no, it was Iraq, and uh, my chapel assistant was a female. That's the way we talk about ladies in the military, we call them female, all right? So it's just the way, when I'm in army Army thought, I, I, that's the way I express myself, right? But I had a young lady who was my uh, chaplain assistant, and we're driving through this little town in Iraq, and uh, we're not far from our uh, operating base where we're going to be for the next uh, eight months, and... Um, and as we're driving through, I'm driving because I don't carry a weapon. I'm a non-combatant as a chaplain, and and uh, so she's got a weapon. And we had some other people on the car. And as we're driving by, this guy walks right up to the to the to our vehicle, points at my chaplain assistant, and just in perfect English, use some really derogatory, hateful terms towards her because she was a woman. And uh, I, I was I remember thinking, Ooh, that was ugly. That was hate. That was being put forth towards her. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't fun. And yet what we're saying here is, it says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. You may not have experienced it, but you may have. I will say this. I, think, I don't think I'm going on too, too thin of a limb to say, to say that this is coming in our day or our children's day or our grandchildren's day where Christians will be hated for their Christianity. They will be hated for living righteously. They will be hating for loving actively. They will, in the midst of loving others, we will be hated. Why? Because we are children of God and we love. But the children of Satan, they don't get it. He's already said it. Is they, don't, they don't know us because they didn't know him. He's already said that. Let's go back. All right. He's saying don't marvel because this is really happening. Uh, um, so where active love will be met with active hate. It's the active tense. It's the present tense. It's it's very it's it's he's saying, listen, don't don't, you know, love like Christ. Christ is the example of how to live uh, righteously and love actively. Cain is now, he brought forward as as the example of what a child of Satan looks like. Because he says, Cain, who was of the wicked one. There's Satan, right? He's right there in the text. It says, Cain, who's a children of Satan, right? He murdered his brother. We know the story. It was the first murder ever committed. And, and, the, and the good guy lost. The good guy had his blood spilt. Never to be heard from again, except for his, his being calling out from the, from the soil where his blood was. And, and, and God judged Cain, right? There was that whole story. We're not going to get into that uh, today. But he, John brings him forth as, as an example. He's saying, listen, he was of the wicked one, and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? I, I never really asked this question. I'm glad John asked the question. Why did Cain murder Abel? Well, we're told here very clearly because uh, Cain's works were evil and Abel's were righteous. And John's point for bringing this up is, don't marvel. Don't marvel at this truth that your living righteously is going to be hated by those who are not children of God. And folks, listen, I think we're part of the self-evaluation we're supposed to be working through here is... The whole, again, the idea, is there enough evidence to convict me of being a Christian, right? Are people hating me because of the way I'm living? Now, granted, I'm not asking you to go out and be a Bible thumper. You know? I mean, you know, it's, it's a derogatory term, right? but it's the idea of taking the very word of God, which brings life, and hitting somebody over the head with it like, "Repent, you sinner, You're on your way to hell!" Gave him the gospel. All right, next. Hey, repent. and oh, no, no. Can you take the word of God? Can we take the word of God and love these people, right? And not only are we called to love sinners to faith, we're supposed to love those of the faith. But he's saying, listen, there are people that are hating you, and it should not be a surprise. That's, that's all he's trying to say is. Cain poster child for child of the devil, hated his brother. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that on any level of the spectrum. Don't have have any Cain-like attributes. When you're a child of God expressing the character of God, right? Don't don't be like Cain. Because the world is a hate-filled world, right? Feature three. Act of love testifies to genuine faith. This is the good news in light of the bad news, right? Don't be like Cain. But he says this we know that we have passed from death to life. There's the gospel. It's everywhere in Scripture. If, you will just, if we will just open our eyes and, and bask in the beauty of God's plan. It's everywhere. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life. It was a, that, that word passed is, is the idea of it is a done deal. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ for coming to faith in that, God moved us into this new location of life. We have been moved from death to life done deal, eternal consequences, eternal rewards for it, right? It's all, it's all in God, right? He says, we know this. Remember, he wants us to know we're, we're children of God. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life. Well, how do we know? Notice this, because we love the brethren. Have you ever thought that your love expressed to one another in word, in deed, and in sincerity, that it is a testimony of your salvation? And if you're not seeing this love in your life, it should cause you to reflect on your own salvation. Maybe it causes us to reflect on the salvation of others. I don't think there's any problem with questioning people's salvation. I'm not afraid of that. Better to question it and have them confirm that they are of the faith than to never question it and let them spend eternity in hell. Right? I don't want to go loosely into it, but he's saying here very clearly how do we know we've passed from death to life? How do we know we're saved? How do we know we have, that we'll spend eternity in, in heaven? Well, it means we get along with the brethren and brothers and sisters in Christ now. The, the very fact that we, from all our diverse backgrounds and, and all of our uh, strengths and weaknesses, we all come together in this room on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, multi times throughout the week, and we all get along and we love each other. Because of the gospel. That's what makes the difference. And he's saying that's why we know that we pass from death to life, because we are actually loving the brother. Now there's this act of love. There's more to it. We're going to see. John's going to build on this. What does this act of love look like you know, when loving each other? He says, well, first of all, I said, he who does not love his brother abides in death. There's, we have the positive. You know the love of God because you're loving your brothers and sisters. But notice this. Those who do not love they don't, they don't have, uh, they're, they're, I'm assuming, they're abiding in death. They exist in death. That is their, their context of life. And we are not called to be those people, but they're out there. He goes on in 3.15, he says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's why he brought Cain up to, as, the, as the poster child for this, right? He says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murder has eternal life abiding in him. Is murder the unforgivable sin? Well, no, we know that's not true because we know there are many. Uh, David was guilty of murder, right? We, we know that's true. Saul, who later became Paul, guilty, right? And so, so he's not saying mur- a murderer is, has, as, uh, is destined for hell, He's saying here that whoever hates his brother, it's that same spectrum. It's the, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, listen, if, you know, you, you've heard it say, you shall not murder. I say you shall not be angry at your brother because anger and murder on the same spectrum, we know this if we've engaged in, in that text, Matthew 5, Right? He's saying, listen, if you're guilty of anger, it's on the same spectrum as murder. The same thing's going going on in your heart. It just hasn't manifested itself in the same way physically. But in God's eyes, guilty. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus said it was true. John's just saying what Jesus said. He goes, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Here's that word again, that remaining. That He's saying, listen, no one can be characterized by unrighteous living and still be called a child of God. They cannot, Because they, they, they are not righteous, so therefore they cannot practice righteousness. He's saying here, anyone that is a murderer, anyone who hates, that has the habitual, consistent, regular, present tense hatred, they, they're not abiding in Christ. Christians have murdered, and Christians are forgiven for those murders, right? That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about the exception. He's talking about the heart of the children of Satan versus the heart of the children of God. He's saying there are both in the midst. Know who they are. Know how to recognize them. Nobody who is characterized by hate has life abiding in him. Are you a loving person? Right? You're all nice people. I know most of you, right? I wouldn't characterize any of you as hateful people, but you know what? I don't know what goes on in your mind and heart. I don't, certainly don't know. For those that are joining us online, I don't know what's going on there. Look in the mirror. Ask yourselves, am I child of God or a child of Satan? Because children of God reflect the character of God, and, and that is characterized by love. The fourth uh, feature is active love is exemplified on the cross. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I think we get this. It is the idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on that cross. It is the example. It is, it is the thing that talks about active love. He did not love us passively. Father, if it be possible, allow this cup to pass from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done. And he proceeded to be hung on a cross and die for you and for me. Active love is exemplified on the cross. The wonderful thing about John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16, remember, the chapter and verses are not inspired, but they're very convenient in this text, right? Both 3.16s talk about the gospel. He says, by this we know love. How do we know what love looks like? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus on the cross. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Now, he's going to bring this to a zinging, you know, bam, hit you right between the eyes in just a moment. But let's just talk about this for a minute. You know, we're talking about active love as exemplified on the cross. You want to know what, Christ, what, what love looks like, active love? Just consider what Jesus did and, and look at that. He laid down his life, it was not forced upon him. He had the power to do whatever he wanted to do, but he humbled himself even to the death of the cross and he obeyed his Father. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have an everlasting life. That's John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says something similar. This is how we know him. He died for us. And it should make a difference in everybody's life. The fifth feature is active love is sacrificial. Now, there's two aspects of this that, that uh, Paul, uh, excuse me, John points out to us. And in the fact is, there's a spectrum here. Active love may call for the ultimate sacrifice. Have you ever thought about laying down your life for a brother or sister in Christ? You know, I think this is done in our world. Not so much in the United States. Maybe in the United States. I mean, I know there are people that, you know, uh, I have friends that, that, that would probably be willing to do this, right, on my behalf. And I hope I would be willing to do this for a brother or sister in Christ. Uh, to give of my life for theirs. I, I would like to think I'm capable of that and that, that would, God would work to allow me to do that. But honest, the odds of me ever being in that position are kind of slim and, and same for you. But there are parts of this world where being a, being a Christian is a death sentence. And to identify with Christians is a death sentence. He's saying here, active love may call for the ultimate sacrifice. He says, because... Um, hold on, I think it skipped. It went too fast, Right? He says, listen, let me, let me go back because I want to make sure I'm a gonna... ha I'm totally messing this up. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, right? And so it's sacrificial, all right? It may be, call us the ultimate sacrifice because he says, there we go, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is a reality. This ought to come into your mind. Am I willing to give my life because of my faith in Christ... And am I willing to lay down my life on behalf of a brother and sister because it's necessary? Am I willing to go that far because you ought to and I ought to be willing to do this? It's unlikely in our context, but we have to be recognized this is what we're called to. This isn't just a metaphor, this is saying, Are you willing to die for someone else? Jesus died for you. Are you willing to die for others? it's it's a genuine challenge. And yet, folks, we have difficult times getting along with each other. I didn't say this in the first service because I don't know if they were going to stay for the business meeting, but let's just go out on a limb for a second. How many church business meetings have not exhibited love? Right? Thankfully, none of the ones I've ever attended right? Thankfully, I I look at business meetings as acts acts of worship, and that's what we'll be doing together. We're coming together as family, taking care of family business in a family way, and as a family, our character is going to reflect the character of God, and we're going to have a great time going through our business meeting with all the questions and with all the details that we have to do. But listen, there are times where Christians have a hard time getting along. We need to be people who are willing to lay down our lives for our brothers, so we may not be active. We may not be uh, uh, asked to, do, to go to the ultimate extreme, but we are saying this: the fifth feature is active love always calls for some sacrifice. There's some sacrifice that must be involved in active love. He says that he gets very, very specific and very in our business, doesn't he? He says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, there's two things going on here. There is the idea that we possess stuff. We have resources that we are happy to have. And and the other thing that's going on here is that we see a brother or sister in need. We we have what they need. The idea is their need is matched by our resources. and, And look what happens. He says, whoever has this world's resources and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart. It's the idea of slams the door, throw away the key. I'm not entering into that. I have no compassion for that. He's like, listen, this, is, this type of attitude is characterized by children of Satan, not children of God. He says, listen, if, 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 you, if a person has the world's goods and he sees his brother in the need and he shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And the answer is, it doesn't. Now I've dropped the ball before, and I think so of you. I mean, some of you, where you you saw a need, and and for whatever reason, you didn't meet it, and you regret it. And I, I'm not going to tell you the stories that I have, but I, I, I regret it. There's times where, like, man, that, I think that's me. I fell in that way. I didn't. I didn't exhibit the love of of Christ in that moment. I, oh, I wish I had. And that can't change history, but I can work on maturing and, and, and doing it better the next time I'm given the opportunity. He's just saying here, he's like, listen, this, this, this idea of active love always calls for some sacrifice. We're not passive. We need to be active. We need to be caring for others. And then he says that we are not supposed to shut up the bowels of compassion. We are not supposed to be those type people. They're out there. He says, listen, feature number six. Active love is sincere love. To be active in our Christian love is to be genuine, sincere. Where am I drawing this from? I read this verse uh, earlier, but it's like, little children, the term of endearment, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's the word I'm saying. We need to love in truth. I've been telling you over and over again already that we need to love indeed. John's been telling us this, right? He's been saying, listen, you're not, you need to be actively engaged in love. You need to be doing all these things, right? So he's already explained that. I don't think I need to explain that any further. Uh, what I want to clarify is he's not saying that you don't love without, in other words, using words is not loving. I think if I never told my wife or my children that I, that I love them, I would be failing as a husband and a father. There are those who have grown up in, in certain circumstances where they never hear the words I love you from a parent figure, and it has an impact on their life, and it's devastating. And they have two choices, continue the wrong practice, that, that debilitating practice of, of not expressing love and word, or ex- start expressing love and word. I tell my kids all the time I love them, my wife and I say it, we say it all the time, and it's, it's one of those things where, but at the same time, we can also say it and not mean it. You ever said that? You know, some of the, you know, you just had a fight with your spouse or one of your kids just did something that really ticked you off and, and, and you're on the phone and you're like, okay, and out of habit, he's like, well, love you. But do you feel that love right now, right? I mean, well, what he's saying here, it's not wrong to love in word and in tongue. Say I love you, please, to your loved ones. It's okay. He's just saying, but that's not the end state of your love. You can't love in only word and tongue. That's passive. He's saying, love indeed and in sincerity, in truth. Don't fall into the habit of thinking certain actions equate to love. Certain words equate to love. No, make sure your love is genuine. And we're now we're talking about your spiritual family. Do you love the other people in this room? Do you love the people online? Are there issues between you and others? Are there things that need to get worked out? Scripture is full of exhortations to work out. The issues that we have. Why? Because active love is an expression of God's character, and we're His children, and we should not ever seek to look like a child of Satan. So big idea, actively loving other marks you as a Christian, and I hope that you found yourself in, the, in these words. I can't identify for you where you might be failing. I struggle with where I'm failing, and, 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 I, and I hope you will too, but listen, Let's recognize that we are called to active Christian love. And if we do it right, right? See, this is the beauty of it. If we do it right, we have assurance of our salvation. People will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And people will join our fellowship of believers all because of gospel-motivated active love. It marks you as a Christian. And when people see it and God does a work in their life, they're drawn to it. Those that see it and they hate you in response... It at least gives you assurance of your salvation. And you need to keep praying for those people who are responding and hate. So just real quick, and I'm just going to let you read through those, all right? We're out of time, and, uh, and we, need, we have plenty left to do. But active Christian love is what we're called to. And it's not always easy. Let's love in word, in deed, and in truth. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you have demonstrated your love for, uh, to us. And Father, I pray that here at, a, at, a, at the end of a sermon, at the end of a, our time together before the business meeting, I'm asking you, Father, would you do a work in, in each of our hearts today? Would you help us to see those people who we are not loving? Would you would you help us to repent? Would you expose our our hearts of of evil, our hearts of sin? Would you draw us to the cross and, and help us to see the bloodiness and the in the in the in the, in the the extreme expression of love that you bestowed upon each of us? And Lord, can we will you help us identify the that we are supposed to respond to that by loving others, no matter what their idiosyncrasies are, no matter what their political views are, no matter what their theological views are that differ from ours. Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, would you you create a healthy church family that is gospel-motivated to see the family grow? In both numbers and in health, Father, that's the mission of the church to make mature disciples of Jesus Christ. It's why we exist, and love is that central part that tells the word that we are really your children. Come, come to Jesus Christ, and then worship with us, since we will be worshiping together for eternity as your children. Lord, may you be glorified in the heart response of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.